0: Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash genre.
1: Over 180,000 titles to choose from from your iPhone, Android, or Kindle.
0: That's audibletrial.com forward slash G-E-N-R-E. Weirdo Bookworms Unite!
1: We want to share our love of genre fiction with you.
0: Some readers out there may look down on you for your love of horror, sci-fi and fantasy, but not us.
1: So stop by as we discuss what we've been reading. Baby shark doo 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 doo, doo. Baby shark doo 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 doo, doo, doo. Baby shark doo. You're just staring at me. But do you not know the song?
0: I, I I know the song. Our nephew um Finn is a big fan.
1: Well, that was a flop.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, No, you did great. You sound beautiful. Yeah,
1: no. Okay. Thank you.
0: Hey, welcome to Genre Junkies. I'm Sandra. I am Scott. And tonight we're going to be discussing fantasy. But before we do that... Welcome to, gosh, this is another one of our first episodes of the new year?
1: This is our, well, I guess this technically our technically our, our end of year spectacular came out on January 1st. True. So this is really our second episode, but it's our first real episode. We're recording it in 2019, y'all.
0: And, and what a good episode. We've got an author interview for you, the lady that wrote this book. Uh, So it's very, very exciting. But first, I guess we should say how we're doing. How's 2019 treating you?
1: So far, it's pretty unexciting, which is, I mean, really probably a good thing.
0: Mine's been rather lame. But yeah, there's always things to be thankful for, and I try to stay positive. So I'm sure this is just a tiny little bump, and the rest of my 2018 is going to be rad AF.
1: Hey, I got the first good news of 2019. Sarah Henning's making a sequel to Sea Witch.
0: Yay! We're so happy. We're so proud. Friend I'm really of the excited show. to read it. Yes, friend of the show, Sarah Henning. We interviewed her. We loved the book. I was in Scott's top, uh, most memorable books for the year. So yay, round of applause, round of applause. Yay. So I'm a little talked out. This is my third recording of the week. Your third? Yeah, because we had Mindy's interview, we have this, and then I am guest starring on the Bloodlust podcast, which the Bloodlust, we kind of think of it like our sister podcast. It's where I got my podcast start and learned the podcast ropes. And I'm a contributor at the dot com on occasion, and often try to pop up on their podcast, and we reviewed Bird box because Two of the ladies, three of the ladies on that show has read that book. And um, we had Amy on our show to talk about Bird Box.
1: It's a great little cross promotion, I guess. It's like a cross pollination. Wasn't, wasn't planned that way. But yeah, poll- I like that. Cross pollination. It's
0: all very organic. Actually faded,
1: we as I We need to have Amy um, back on again.
0: Yes, we do. We need to have a lot of people back on. We love talking to our friends about books. Amy, pick a book. <laughs> Okay, so shall we get into the business at hand?
1: So, the book we read this week is Deepest Blue by Mindy Tarquini.
0: Yay! And we also have an interview with her, as forementioned.
1: Which is an excellent interview. She's really, really fun.
0: For fans of Paulo Coelho and Neil Gaiman, comes a magical story by critically acclaimed author Mindy Tarquini. In Panduri, an enchanted city seen only at twilight. Everyone's path is mapped, everyone's destiny decided, their lives charted at birth and steered by an unwavering star. Everyone has his place, and Matteo, second son of Panduri's duca, is eager to take up his as legendary protector at the border and out from under his father's domineering thumb. Then Matteo's older brother pulls rank and heads to the border in his stead, leaving Panduri's orbit in a spiral and Mateo's course on a skid. Forced to follow an unexpected path, resentful and raw, Matteo is determined to rise, to pursue the one future Panduri star can never chart a life of his own. So this book is set in this a uh, fictional fantasy world of Panduri, and it's very much like a medieval Renaissance Italy. It's very much like uh, reflective of that.
1: It harkens to a lot of Shakespeare's ideas of fairies, a lot of that kind of idea. I believe, Sandra, you said it perfectly. Oh,
0: yes, I do. I even have it in my notes here. If I could kind of just briefly surmise this book, it's a Shakespearean acid trip. <laughs> and I mean that in like the best way. That's not in, um, it's not a diss. It's a compliment.
1: Oh, absolutely. It, this is Midsummer Night's Dream without the pesky humans. <laughs>
0: I mean who needs those humans anyway? They're boring. All right, so Scott what should do? Oh, your experience? I'm starting with the experience score? You- uh, do you want to go first?
1: Uh sure, I'll go first, yeah. Um okay, so We've talked before that some of the greatest books for a multitude of reasons are struggles to read. I really like this book, but I am classifying it as a struggle for me. Uh it's incredibly unique in its style, its setting, and its premise. Uh the characters are really alien and and so is the the rules that their world exists in. Tarquini uses a lot of unconventional narrative approaches that are they're they're challenging, but they're brilliant, if that makes sense. Yes. The best piece of advice that I can give to, uh, you know, left-brained folks like me is just when you're reading this book, take everything literally. Every turn of phrase, every little colloquialism, it's literal in this world. And and as soon as you kind of accept that, it becomes just such a brilliant read.
0: I think that's a really fair way to put it. Uh, for me, I went to a little bit different in my approach, I said this was a good read, solid, enjoyable, recommendable. I had a good time every time I went back to my bookmark to read and be in the world of Panduri. Now, that being said, there is a language to this book, and it takes a few chapters to get used to it. Um, it's it flows easily once you get it, and I totally found myself like speaking that way or like thinking that way when I wasn't reading the book. Uh, it's not as difficult as say, A Clockwork Orange or Cloud Atlas, as far as language goes. It's not quite that challenging. Um, It's a little bit more akin to Shakespeare, but I I think it it still flows easier. Because, you know, Shakespeare is meant to be spoke, not read.
1: Where this can definitely be read, not spoke. Yeah, it's definitely written in current English, but it has a cadence to it.
0: Well, some of the words are kind of um, antique because that's, you know, they're in this kind of frozen in time place. Like I said, um, I mean I feel like it's almost more Renaissance than medieval and then a lot of words they use are in italics because they're actual like Italian words like duca you know their their king their ruler uh, that's an Italian word but um, it, it's it's got this vibe to it very beautiful that the language is kind of a character in the book
1: I I agree wholeheartedly it's the way that it's written is incredibly important to its feel to its ultimate, uh, a presentation i wouldn't ask it to be any other way. And I really loved the book. And it actually, this is a book that's kind of made me rethink our particular titles for our scoring system. Because to say it's a struggle, that just sounds so negative. I would just say it was a challenge.
0: I feel like saying challenge, I don't like that word there. That's negative.
1: You you like you like challenge worse than struggle?
0: I don't like either of those words, because like you just said, it was important to the story well, that Well, if it you don't spoke. like either
1: of the words, we're gonna have to re we're gonna have to redefine our entire Entire scoring process. Just
0: no, throw it out the no, window and start not, all over again. No, no, no. I'm talking specifically about the language because, like you said, the language couldn't be any way other than what it was. So it sounds like a detriment to call it a challenge.
1: Well, it was more than the language for me. uh, uh Specifically, like I said, everything is so literal. I mean, follow your stars and um, music having the power to uplift, like those ideas are taken completely literal in this book. And and it took me a long time to actually wrap my head around that.
0: Okay, so this is... A teaching moment, because what that is, is you are not used to magical realism in writing. Define I find
1: magical realism for me.
0: Because I don't think you, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think you've ever read a book with magical realism in it.
1: I mean, I guess maybe that's true. I mean, I, I will agree. I've never read a book like this.
0: So I think that um, this is something new for you. This was a completely new type of book for
1: you. I didn't know that there were new uh, new types of books for me, but I guess I guess I guess there is.
0: So it was a little bit harder for you because it's the first time you've done it, but that's okay.
1: Oh, and, and again, I, I I wanna I wanna really drive this home. I loved this book.
0: Yes. Oh, yes. No, it's a fantastic book. Um, can we talk about the wonderful use of magical creatures? So there are magical beings. I mean, the, the people in this book are magical, but I mean, they're straight up like fantasy creatures. There's little imp like. Dudes, There's mention of brownies, other things, and especially sprites. And the sprites are kind of like your text message. Like you tell the sprite something, and it goes and delivers the message to the person. And generally, you reward it with like a little piece of candy, which I mean, all of this is so precious.
1: Yeah, there's a number. Sprites are are a really big example. But there's a number of little things that that work as uh, narrative conveniences to get around some of the, the ideas that there's not modern technology in the story that that are actually really inspired.
0: Well, yeah, and, and part of the magic too is the fact uh, of the stars and the stars ruling everything around you. You cast your chart at birth and that is the path you follow. It's all laid out for you right then and there. And that's a type of magic that it's almost like a weird fatalistic magic that you don't see a whole lot.
1: Yeah, the idea that your entire not your path exactly, but your purpose is is predetermined for you from birth.
0: There's a beautiful um, ode to nature in this story as well. We talk a little bit about it with Mindy in our interview um, about how it really spoke to my little hippie heart that like they are so... Incredibly in tuned with nature and the elements and the seasons, like they don't run from raindrops. They live in trees, basically. They commune with plants, almost like they're a type of animal, sentience. Uh, and it's so beautiful and just heartwarming and just like filled me with a lot of glee when I was reading this book.
1: And Sandra, I know that you loved that they were all vegetarians.
0: Yes, and that is something that like I dog-eared the page in the book where it talks about that. Um, should, shall I read a little bit of it? Just a little hint, not enough to spoil. Yeah. Okay. So they're talking about the paper they write on and the books that they make. And a character says, Our parchment is made from plant husk. They like to make their agreements on parchment derived from animal skin. They used the skin to make their leather also, instead of wood bark. The horror on Mateo's face would have made the papist devil cry. How do they get the skin without harming the animal? They can't, so they eat the animal. All the sorting and searching stopped. The group grew solemn. Some looked at their shoes, others at their belts. Oh, <laughs> I, and it goes on a little bit more from there. But that just filled me with so much joy because I love the little animals and, and I'm not into eating them. Except for fish.
1: Not only is it just, it doesn't it make a lot of sense with their connection to nature and their, their just complete aversion to the idea of eating an animal, but it really speaks to the, the alien nature of them because it's just, that's not, is that even a possibility? They don't right. even, they don't even see that as being an option.
0: They wouldn't have, yeah, they wouldn't even like consider that like, you're going to kill this thing for like, to use stuff from it. Like, I'm sure the plants are already hard enough. So let's talk a little bit about characters. Just kind of introduce you to our main cast. Uh, most of the action is around our three brothers. There's Antonio, who's the oldest. There's Matteo, who's the middle, and there's Claudio, who's the youngest. So um the way Mindy described it to us is it's kind of the, like this take on a stereotypically perfect, you know, role of three brothers in an Italian family. Your oldest is your heir. Your second usually joins the military. So that's like your protector. And the third becomes a priest. So um Claudio is a priest. Uh They are not christians they don't have a religion exactly they worship the deep lore they worship the magic this force that controls and binds all? This sounds very Jedi-like.
1: Yeah, you're going very Star Wars here.
0: <laughs> but I think you know what I mean. Yeah, especially if you've read the book, you'll you'll see that.
1: It's kind of a primordial force that they follow. It's not even so much they worship, that they just uphold.
0: And the three could not be any more different from each other. They're all their own unique succinct people with their own voices and their own motives and their own um, struggles with the world and the system.
1: And all three are excellent character studies.
0: Oh, yes. And we're going to talk a little bit more in the spoiler section to go a little bit deeper to them, but um, really this book is just this beautiful passage of time in the lives of these three brothers and their family and the way they interact with their culture and their magic and the extremely long lives they live. They're not immortal, but they live a very long time.
1: And exactly how long is not even made exactly clear, but there's some really interesting allusions that are made throughout the book.
0: Um, I guess we should give an appeal so for me um I went ahead and gave this a broad appeal I think a lot of people who like fantasy would uh, enjoy this because they're gonna find something different than their typical fantasy in here a little bit more of a departure from the usual business I think that people who are more into just literature might also want to give this a try maybe people who are into Shakespeare Chaucer kind of older literary works might find something of value in this um you know it's it's a fantasy a little bit akin to gormenghast or kind of even game of thrones where there's a lot of political intrigue there is magic but it's not all about the magic because the magic is just them and the way they live and the way their environment works so i think especially if you like those political movings and you like family sagas you're going to find something in there for you.
1: This is the sound of me tearing up my notes because you what? basically said every every point that I wanted to make. I agree. For I real? Think- Yeah, I think it has broad appeal. It's, um, I I don't think that it's a traditional fantasy story, although, okay, so you agree with me on that. No, it's not traditional.
0: It's something different. It's something exciting to try.
1: Yeah. So I don't think that it it immediately attracts the traditional fantasy reader, but I think that the traditional fantasy reader should definitely pick this up and read it because it's, it's, it's excellent. Yeah, it's Um, different. I think that there may be more to get out of this book if you have a foundation in kind of more traditional disp- depictions of the Fae uh, of different cultures, but I don't think that that's necessary to enjoy the book either. I, I agree. It has broad appeal.
0: All right. Well, all that having been sp- said, I hope you've enjoyed this. I hope you enjoyed the interview.
1: And we'll see you after the break for Spoilers. <laughs>
0: All right everybody, we have a very special treat. Without further ado, here is Mindy Tarkini. God, did I do it right? I don't think no. so. <laughs> <laughs> Scott, you're doing it. Mindy
1: Tarkwini? Yes. Yes, Yay. all right.
0: Ding ding ding. <laughs>
1: This is all making it in. <laughs> this is all making it in. Hi, welcome. Hi, well,
0: I'm so pleased to be here. Hello, how are you? Oh, we're doing good.
1: We're we're really excited to have you. We uh, really liked the book.
0: Oh my gosh. Oh, really? Oh, yay. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to try to keep this interview as spoiler free as possible so that, you know, if anybody hasn't read the book yet, give them a little bit of a chance.
2: Okay. <laughs> okay. Good. I guess and it's up you. to you how much you uh, <laughs> Right, how yeah. Much how much you like want to reveal. Display. Yeah. No, that's that's been an issue like when people write reviews, it's been like, because there's just something happening on every page. <laughs> yeah. and they're like, I don't want to reveal anything, so just go read the book. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. Goodbye.
0: What's End of the interview. It? Oh, that was a great interview. Great <laughs> review. Thank you so much. Exactly. All
2: right. So, okay. all right, now now we're serious. Now we're now lying. we're serious. Yeah. Now yeah. we're yeah. cultured. Yes.
0: Culture. Serious. We can all do this. (laughs) Welcome to PBS. I'm Linda Hunt. Okay. (laughs) How long has the world of Pandory been living in your head and how
2: did it start? Okay. um, The actual story of Deepest Blue is old. It's like 15 years old and it was not set in Pandory when I first (laughs) wrote it. It was one of those early writer fantasies, um, as in fantasy, as in, you know, getting together with friends and, hey, kids, let's get published. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sure, you know, we're all going to take three months, we're going to write a book, and then whatever we thought magic happened afterwards, <laughs> it would suddenly appear on the market somehow.
1: Mm-hmm. And um,
2: um, I am the only one who actually finished the book. <laughs> Yeah. And I just started writing it. I uh, have no idea what was in my head at the time, but uh, (laughs) but I did. I kind of started at the beginning and I kind of wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote and 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 stuff happened. And and then it finished. And then it was very long and it was very convoluted and it was set nowhere. It was just basically a tale of nobles behaving badly. (laughs) And I just had these three brothers, and I had their dad, and I had their mom, and I had a sister. And so I started, you know, the rounds of the critique clubs, you know, the critique groups. And uh, one kept asking me, well, where is the set? I was like, oh, Italy. Where in Italy? I hadn't even made up the names of the towns. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, where is that? Right, It's in Italy. <laughs> and then they wanted to know, like, well, when is it? Oh, long time ago. But when? (laughs) Medieval Italy. (laughs) I had no setting for it. You know, it was vaguely medieval, vaguely nobles behaving badly. You know, what it was, was very Italian, but not actually, you know, because I know these people, but not actually set anywhere. And so, um, you know, I, they kept saying, well, you know, you're going to need to give it a year and you're going to need to do this. And then I tried things like, oh, it's set 20 years before the plague. Which plague oh <laughs> like, no didn't this work for you know was is it more cash you know love in the time of cholera didn't it work for him but they just weren't buying it and I said all right you know what yeah then they were telling me my hoberk. I had a hoberk in that version thing and um you know well that's not the type of hoberk they used during that year and you know and I was like suddenly I had this horrible feeling like shoot. don't want to learn everything there is to know about medieval Italy right it's a book I don't care what kind of they use. it doesn't matter to me in the least so you know the whole book goes under the bed and I moved on to other things and was so sad so um years later don't ask me why but I suddenly thought of this again this book and I thought oh I I know what I'll do I'll Now we write it in a different way. I shall make it a slapstick comedy. (laughs) Oh, my God. And since you read the book, you're probably thinking slapstick comedy. (laughs) But I did. I wrote it a slapstick comedy, and I wrote it from the viewpoint of Claudio, you know, the youngest brother. And actually, sometimes I go back and I look at that version, and it's pretty funny. But I was only able to do like a couple of chapters that way. And I kept thinking all I could hear with the voices, you know, if the critique group thinking, you know, really, this is not a funny topic. <laughs> <All right. laughs> and I, you know, actually I just, I couldn't keep it up past the and because it really wasn't them and it wasn't the story. Okay, fine. Back under the bed it goes. So Fast forward, you know, a, a little bit more time, <laughs> and I think by then my debut was going to be coming out or something. I'm not really sure, but, at, you know, it was somewhere within the first couple, a couple of years of my debut. And I I suddenly had this inspiration to make it a fairy tale. I, everybody was doing fairy tales. I turned it into a fairy tale because what I wanted, to me, this always was a story of Once Upon a Time. Once Upon a Time, there were these three brothers so I thought oh, I'll make it a fairy tale. So I start, you know, googling you know, fairy tales, Italian fairy tales, and I found out Italian fairies are really kind of different from, you know, northern European fairies. They're they're sort of grand and opulent, and um, their favorite cover, color is indigo. And what's the title of my book? So it just sort of seemed like kismet. You know? oh, like wow. yes, you should make it a fairy tale. And you know what? When something's a fairy tale, anything goes. You can do whatever absolutely. You want. Whatever you want. He wants to fall in love. Poof, fall in love. Go, go for it. That's what happens in fairy tales. They can wear so, whatever kind of armor. <laughs> right. But I still actually didn't have a location. You know, I just didn't want to put it in fairyland. You know, I mean it is fairyland. So um you know, again under the bed. I I kind of took the book out. You know, I kind of reimagined it some as fairyland and and stuff. But I sort of had a lot of untenable things. I remember it had been written many many years ago before I knew how to write a story. <laughs> so it just needed some serious work. <laughs> like she said kindly, about <laughs> I think we need a little work here. So I um you know I kind of shoved it back under the bed again and then um. You know, my first book came out and then I had I was working on my second book and I was finishing it up. And weirdly enough, I was in Italy at the time that I was finishing up the second book. And, you know, as I kind of walked the streets of these little medieval towns and, you know, was just Matteo sort of started walking next to me. And, you know, my characters do that. They do bother me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he was like, you know, this might be a good time to bring up Deepest Blue. Okay. So I remember that I was in North Carolina on a layover. I just sent the Infinite Now off to my editor, you know I mean, like screeching in to that deadline like with <laughs> minutes to spare. And as soon as I sent it, I opened up Deepest Blue again. And I looked at it with different eyes. I um I'd assumed it was a very External kind of a story about nobles behaving badly, and these brothers just trying to get one up on the other. <laughs> you, know, just, you know, I don't want to say fighting for power exactly. Just you know how brothers are, <laughs> right? Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that that's what it was about, and it was sort of just a kind of a, a mishmash of you know who wants to marry whom and who wants to do what, and and kind of the underlying premise for the story was still. at the time I wrote it, it was kind of edgy. It was no longer edgy, you know, and it was sort of old, but I, I kind of really took a hard, hard look at it. And I thought, you know, this isn't a story about these, this is a story of a family in grief.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: And this is not this this story about why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Why, you know, this is a story of a family in grief. And I, I realized this is a, a story of the emotional architecture of these brothers and of this family. And I thought, oh, this is not an outside story. This is an inside story. And Mm -hmm. that's how I got my setting. Wow! Inside versus outside. Now, as far as actual Pandurian Carreri, did you read the book notes at the end? We sure did. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Those are actual places that, you know, I was looking for a setting and I thought, oh, you know, I shall find it you know, because like I still have the echoes of where is this set in my ears. <laughs> and I wanted to, I wanted to set it in a real place because that's what, you know, fairyland is the fairies. They, they're there, but they exist concurrently with you. Yes. So I was looking for Italian ghost towns. And I found this, you know, I did find this place called and Really the most of the information I could find about it was only in Italian and it wasn't oh. much. And I um so I went looking for a pandori, you know, and I I couldn't find it. <laughs> you put pandori into Google, I think you get like a village in Georgia or something. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, and it's also an instrument. There's an instrument called the Pandora. So I um I had to go searching for it, and I had to start at Carreri, the the you know the Ducato across the way that they're in conflict with. So I started with Carreri, and I thought, well, let me start there, you know, because they moved, you know, to Carreri, and Pandori, by the way, readers may not know this, it is a town that did exist in the sixteen hundreds and it was destroyed by an earthquake. It killed um most of the residents were killed. I think a third were left alive. They never buried their dead. They basically you know, because they were under the rubble, and the whole town packed up and moved to the next hillside over. And there are some really bizarre stories about Pandori afterwards. Things like they tried to move a painting from the church in Pandori over to Carreri, but the painting wouldn't stay, and it kept appearing back in the church in Pandora. (laughs) Now, is this true? As we say in Italy, I don't know if it's true, but it makes a good story. (laughs) I love that story. (laughs) I have no idea if it's true. I have not been there. I have not interviewed people. I don't know.
0: (laughs) So you did end up learning a lot about history, though.
2: Oh, absolutely. So there I was on Google Earth, you know, looking for Pandora, and all I could find was Carreri. And I kept looking and I kept looking and I kept looking. And I thought, oh, my goodness, where did they put this place? Right. You know how, like, sometimes it's not like you're looking in the wrong place, you just kind of have to shift your vision. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what made me shift my vision, because there really aren't even all that many pictures online of Pandora. There's a few things and I can think, what am I not seeing? And it was right there in front of me. It was right there. It wasn't, it wasn't what was there. It was what wasn't there. And it's basically, it's on a hillside. It is very close to Carreri, and it's not there. And when you really start looking, you see the shadow of the old walls. You see the, 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 the fields that are no longer tilled. I, I can't even explain it, but it's an absence Wow. And then I understood that I was looking I got that idea of that liminal space that I was looking at a city that you could only see at certain times.
1: I really like that and it was, what's what's fascinating about your your creation process is it's completely backwards from what I would have assumed. Same
0: <laughs> And like <laughs> and what do you mean? <laughs> well, because sometimes like you know you have the set of place first and then you build your characters and your story. but um this one you had to like go find it. It was calling to you.
2: <laughs> I did, and I never set a place first. I never do. My it's, my stories are always about the characters first. They start talking to me, you know, um, and then I, then I'm like somebody looking for a setting. And that's happened with <laughs> well not with my very, not with my debut, but with Infinite Now. That's that's very much how it happened. Um, a lot of my my stories, the ones that are you know sitting in little outline boxes on my computer they i've got characters and it's like and then i'm looking for a place to put them as i did as i did with this one i will have a whole story i think i think sometimes in this country you know i don't know if it's just this country let me make a broad <laughs> generalization about all people <laughs> everywhere that's what we do here <laughs> but i was just i you know at the time that i was really struggling with you know, Deepest Blue and the where is it set and when is it set and Hoburg's, you know, didn't look like that. But I mean, I was just impressed that anybody would know what a Hobart looked like at any point in any time, you know. Seriously. And and I was like, oh gosh, I can't write. I will never be able to write a story. I've got real trouble. And I was remember thinking, you know, can't you just write a story like once upon a time? Is that allowed? And this is, you know, this was back before everybody was doing the retellings of fairy tales. Mm. And I was just so like, oh my gosh, like if we lost that ability in this, you know, to <laughs> be able to, you know once upon a time, there was a rabbit. So <laughs> I was just so relieved that <laughs> I can make it a fairy tale, then I can do what I want.
1: Yeah, I find it really interesting that back when you started this, that people were not open to just kind of letting things be that things were much more specific.
2: Yes. And that, you know, was sort of true of all my all my work is like that. It's magically realistic, which is sort of a, at the time, it had fa- I guess it had fallen out of favor and people, you know, I mean, if you have, you know, fantasy, people, they want to know what are the rules of the magic. <laughs> like, right. You know, how does the magic work? It's you don't always need to know. Well, yes, I feel like it's magic. What do you mean, how does the magic work? <laughs> if, if we knew, it would be called science. That's no, it's know. a very
0: good... Oh, my God, I'm using that quote. Next time somebody combats me about the magic system of a story, I'm going to be like, that'd be science. Oh, you mean me. <laughs> it
2: would be in the science fiction category, okay? Right. And... <laughs> And then, you know, fantasy, magical realism does not have its own little, you know, it has its own little BISAC code, you know, that does B-I-S-A-C codes. But there's not really a, you know, they don't have a shelf <laughs> in the bookstore that says magical realism. They, you know, if it's entered into contests or whatever, there's no separate magical realism category. So it's under fantasy, which is a very broad, broad category oh, yeah. so you know sometimes people will pick it up and then they're you're like well you didn't explain the magic system or you didn't um whatever yeah oh he falls in love instantly and i'm like well it's because that's what happens in fairy tales <laughs> but you know there's those those sorts of things that happen because fantasy is a really broad you yeah, know and so the reader comes in with an expectation and and of what they think that fantasy should be (laughs) right and for me i and
0: i think scott too we got a lot of shakespeare vibes oh from this yes because you know sometimes in shakespeare things happen they just happen and it's like that's okay and then of course there's the whole like you know, old Italian world stuff going on too. So that was cool because we love Shakespeare.
2: I was, yeah, I was looking for kind of a Midsummer's Night Dream, sort of a vibe with it. I thank you.
1: So I'm so glad you picked it. Nailed it. it.
0: Oh, you (laughs) nailed nailed it. Because yeah, we both were like Midsummer
2: Night's Dream. Absolutely.
1: Mm -hmm. Without the humans.
2: (laughs) Exactly. Yes, exactly. Without the humans. But that, yes, those are all this. There's a lot of illusion within the story. And I, you know, I kind of stuck that all in for the literary junkies. You know, <laughs> you know, you know, he'll be like, "Oh, oh, she's got Newton in there. <laughs> she's got a little bit of Lassoo, or she's got a little, you know." So there's a lot of that thread in, and I, I like to imagine that I that, that I, I have a, a world. Of, let, let us again make a broad sweeping assumption that you know the world of literary what types, you know, who read Chaucer or whatever, mm-hmm. or. <laughs> You know? or or you know Boccaccio or something have picked this up and are just picking up on all those little tiny thinking. Brilliance, oh, Brilliance. <laughs> <Brilliant."
1: laughs> so what stories and authors are your biggest inspirations?
2: Oh gosh. Um have you ever heard of a of an author called Italo Calvino? No. Okay, well. That's a new one. That's a new one. Uh he well, he's dead. Uh he's <laughs> he's not very new. He wrote in the fifties. He was uh at a, you know, a lot of magical realism. Um it's it's more popular today and everybody's doing it. But the the kind that of storytelling that I tell is sort of rooted in this Mediterranean idea, like there's nothing weird like when people you know looked at it they'd think well this is very unusual but it's like no this is how stories are told in Italy mm-hmm. and in the mediterranean countries um it's okay for people to suddenly start flying or you know for the crickets to suddenly start talking to them or that's okay uh mm-hmm. that's what happens in these stories all the time mm-hmm. and italo calvino was an italian author who wrote a lot of magical realism and uh and I draw, I draw a lot of inspiration from him because his story forms are so unusual. And he he'd written this one called "The Baron in the Trees" that I I re, re- I must read it once a year because I really kind of feel like he wrote it for me. He just knew that one day I'd pick it up and read it. We have a thing, me and Al So I <laughs> the story is it it it's it's it starts with. It's written from the viewpoint of the younger brother, and they are barons, and they are someplace in Italy. I think it's northern Italy, someplace. And uh, it opens uh, with the younger brother telling the story of the last time his, his older brother sat among them. And uh, and it, then it goes into this whole detail of, of the boy and the father having an argument at the dinner table, and the boy's 14, this, this older brother. He's 14 years old, and snails are on the menu, and he doesn't want to eat them. <laughs> Can't blame <laughs> him. Yeah. Yes. And it's like the late 1700s or something. And, and then there's this whole story of how the snails got on the table in the first place. And this whole thing about the family and their life. And it's just funny. You know, and you're just reading and reading and <laughs> about these, you know, nobles behaving badly <laughs> and whatever's going on in the thing. But, the, the, you know, the father's like, you know, are you going to eat the snails? And the, guy, and the kid says no. And, and the younger brother's fascinated because he's never seen anybody defy his father before. So he's like, Oh, wow. You know, he's like terrified. Like what happens next? So the father's like, are you going to eat them? No, I'm not going to. So they all, you know, the brother gets up from the end, and he goes stalking off and he climbs the tree and just is like, I am not ever coming down again because they're fighting over these snails. So he goes up in the tree. I am never coming down again. And he never does. And he lives the rest of his life in, in, in the trees. And he makes a life for himself in the trees. And I, I love the story on a number of levels. I like the interaction between the guy, you know, the older brother and the younger brother. I like I like the mechanics of how do you live in a tree for your entire life? Like, <laughs> and, he, and he gets all over the place. Like, he's still the baron. And, you know, and the local people, they don't care because, you know, there's nobles. They're crazy anyway. So. All right. <laughs> Our baron lives in a tree. Who cares? You know, he's still the baron and he still lives a life up there. And he, you know, sets himself and he moves tree to tree. And you learn so much about trees <laughs> <laughs> when you read this book. <laughs> and the 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 agriculture and the flora and fauna of, of Italy, <laughs> northern Italy, it's just all over this book. But I, I, I love it because. It's so Italian because the, the Italians do that stuff like, you know, they'll have a fight over something ridiculous. They'll make a declaration and now they're stuck with it for the rest
0: of right. their lives. And now you're going to learn how to function and live in a tree.
2: Right, because they, they, he will not back down. He's never going to back down and say, <laughs> you're right, I'm living in a tree and this is stupid and I'm doing it over a plate of that <laughs> I didn't want to eat 30 years ago. And you know your people in Pandori—they kind of live in trees. I had a lot of fun working with that one. Um, It—I I originally, I think, I had it more, you know, of a kind of a bricks and mortar sort of a place. But then as as time progressed, you know, in my iterations of writing the book, I was thinking, no, oh, that's what that's what separates them from the outside. They live inside. They live. They're so connected to everything around them that they're not separated from any of it. So they don't exactly. They live in trees, like they live in the world around them. They shape, they shape like the trees around them. Yes. They they don't run from weather. They're part of it. They live very connected to the world around them and to each other. So they have a very different take on people and on nature and on their place and things than we do on the outside because they're not distracted, Right by all the things that distract us. So they are free to experience their emotions and free to experience their c- connections and free to, you know, unabashedly be willing to communicate with each other. And that's the issue with these three that in a world, so connected to each other, these three are communicating, right? And therein lies their problem.
0: <laughs> and therein lies the rub. <laughs>
2: that's the issue with these two <laughs> <laughs> no it's i totally could
0: i mean i'm i'm a hippy dippy sort of soul and i'm like i could absolutely just live in this world uh it, there's something really pagany about it just really beautiful
2: well who wouldn't want to live there you you know you you deliver a message somebody gives you candy hello and it, yes and there was no worries about sugar they were just throwing I loved like a lot of stuff like they were just giving candy to the kids they didn't even worry about it
1: here yeah. have some candy <laughs> <laughs> and one of the greatest things you can give somebody is a rainbow
2: yes have a rainbow you <laughs> know <laughs> oh here here's a bauble here's a here's a diamond kids go kick it around like a soccer ball have some fun have some fun kids <laughs> because they know what's truly valuable in this place they know the true value of what's really important that uh, yeah i definitely
0: i think we both connected with absolutely. that absolutely Um, So this book is told from different perspectives. And you talked a little bit about how Matteo found you in Italy that one time. So who's your favorite to write as with these characters kind of talking to you through it?
2: Okay. I have a special place in my heart for Cloudy. (laughs) And well, the reason is, is because, you know, he's the, uh, for the readers, it's set up on a hierarchy. You know, there's the oldest brother is supposed to be the heir. This is a world where everybody has to do what they've been charted and assigned and most do it happily. This is, you know, they all know we have our place and we do this and, and as Pandory rises, so do all of we. So it's sort of a, you know, everybody rise kind of a land. And uh, there's these three brothers and they're supposed to, there's a traditional setup in in Italian culture. <laughs> In Italian culture, when you have three sons and traditionally it would be like, you know, the, the first one's the heir and the second one joins the military and the third one becomes a priest. <laughs> <laughs> That's your idealistic, you know, Italian mother would just, this is what she wants for her, for her first <laughs> three sons. So I, I kind of took that and translated it into Pandora. <laughs> And, you know, that first one's the heir and the second one is supposed to be the protector. And the third one is, you know, the cleric, the guardian, whatever he is, you know, this sort of quasi-religious keeper of the deep lore. And I I have a special place in my heart for him because, you know, the issue issue with being the priest is everybody confesses to you and you can't Mm -hmm. say anything. So this guy knows everything and he can't tell anybody. Right. And so... And he's always in trouble. So, you know, he's in this position where no matter what he does, no matter how careful he is, no matter how good his intentions, some he's going to be in trouble with somebody for something.
0: Ah, uh, Yeah, it is. Can't Poor
2: guy. Yes. Yes.
1: So it sounds like this was... The, the kind of the creation of your writing career in a way, but what is the first story that you remember writing?
2: Boy, you know, I t- it's fine. I took a creative writing class in college and I think I failed it. Oh, um, and I cannot for the life of me remember what the story was that I wrote. I don't think it was good. Obviously. Um, I didn't know anything. About, I didn't understand what everybody was doing and I didn't understand just what was I doing. I did not understand the class. I just didn't understand it. You know, I had no, no idea. So years later, I was um, a young wife in, <laughs> in New York, and I was tra- you know, trying to meet friends. And uh, I, I took an adult education class in creative writing because, of course, I'd done so well in college. I should just totally <laughs> do this. Don't, don't ask me why. It was probably like a discounted class and, you know, open on the one night I could go, which is probably the reason I went. And like I said, I was there to meet people. And uh, so I, I went and I had this, this class and I wrote a story about... A young wife in a supermarket who's, you know, never had to cook or anything because she's educated. She has degrees. She knows lots of stuff, but she can't boil water. So there she is. In a, and she's never had a, you know, she's in a grocery store and she has no money. She's on this little tiny budget and she's trying to figure, and she's in New York. I don't know if you know anything about New York, but groceries are expensive in New York. So there she is with her cart and her shiny new ring and, you know, her copies of the Joy of Cooking (laughs) that she got as wedding presents. And she doesn't know what to buy. She's just sitting there. So she ends up following a woman around because she doesn't know what she's supposed to buy. And so she goes and she picks up the butter and she puts the butter in the cart, you know, but like but then the woman put a different butter in the cart. And she's like thinking, well, why did she put that butter in the cart? Why didn't you put the butter I put in my cart? So, you know, now her wheels are turning because she's educated. She has degrees, okay? (laughs) So she's going to work this out. You know, there's a reason. You know, why did you choose that? And she's not going to ask the lady. But now she's going through this whole long thing in her head about this. Well, it's the same kind of butter. They're both double, you know, grade double A. They're both whatever, And the one I picked is cheaper because I have no money, but she a more expensive one. So there she is, like forever trying to decide about the butters, and and so then she decides. Well, she's going to she's going to come up with a scientific way of figuring this out of how do you shop for food Hmm. because you know she doesn't understand like how do you get tomato sauce from tomatoes? (laughs) 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 There's your magic, okay? People want to know how the magic works. She didn't get that magic of how do you get from tomatoes to tomato sauce? How does a pumpkin become a pie? (laughs) So she's going to make a negative list of groceries. You know, I'm going to choose the absolute cheapest of everything and and we'll taste it. And if it's okay, then that's good. It'll go on my negative list or, you know, the things I can't. Well, you know, so she had this whole and that's what the whole story was about. And it was a comedy. <laughs> <laughs> it, did, it did pretty well. The teacher was laughing. She ran and she's laughing through this whole thing because, you know, I was writing from experience, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and At that time, I had no idea how anything be- came anything else in the kitchen because I had my mother was a very good cook and I just didn't have to do it so and I had all these degrees and what did I have to care about cooking for? <laughs> did not care. so um she really liked it and and that was great and I met another lady there who was there for creative writing and I, I wrote I wrote a few other stories to the class and yay it was a big success and I really liked this other lady and I'd made a friend and so the next semester we took Furniture refinishing. <laughs> and that was the end of my writing career for like another ten years. <laughs> wow. That's hilarious. And are you still into furniture? No. <laughs> <laughs> that was short lived. Well, you know, I get I get I took it because, you know, I didn't have any money. <laughs> yeah. I, but I had a lot of old furniture from like old, you know, aunts or uncles that had died and his his relatives that had died. And so I had a lot of furniture that <laughs> needed a little help, so so I took furniture finishing so I could learn I learn how to do it. No, I'm not I'm not anymore. I'm uh, no, I'm not into furniture. I'm into um, well, you know, we moved from from the East Coast to Phoenix like 20 years ago. And just a wow. word to anybody out there who's doing a big move from climates, okay, cli- it's it's climate changes. All right, it's not distance. I go from the place of normal humidity. <laughs> <laughs> you know, four seasons, all right? And I bring all of this furniture from there to the desert. And I learned that wood cracks. Oh. oh. Wood cracks. Upholstery gets weird because whatever buggies are, you know, and everybody's sorry. I hope, you know, if you're eating lunch, put down your sandwich. But things <laughs> live in furniture. There's like bugs and things that live in furniture. And they, they have different micro climates they like so whatever upholstery from the east coast doesn't do so well in the desert oh man things are different and i thought well that's a word to the wise the next time i I, if i ever make a mother move like that i'm having a major garage sale (laughs) yeah (laughs) buying new in the new place so so yeah everything you know so that sort of put me off furniture after that i didn't really care became very utilitarian i wasn't very interested you know yeah i need a table i need (laughs) sofas
1: so no, I'm not into furniture. And I can't blame no.
0: you there. Yeah.
1: And now I want to burn my couch.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Where did you bring it from? <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, it's only lived here. In oh, California. Okay. Well, yeah. you're, you're fine as long as it's only lived there. But um, I actually have a story I want to write someday about about a piece of furniture that
1: travels.
0: <laughs> oh my god, I love it. <laughs> and, and does
2: strange things in the new place. So the
1: sisterhood of the traveling table. <laughs> <laughs> so uh what is your favorite step of the writing process now
2: oh you know when you first start writing it's a lot of fun (laughs) (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm.
2: there's no expectations you know publication is always in some unknown distant future or, you know, what I don't know. I, I somehow thought I'd be published in six months. And, you know, that didn't happen. And, you know, there's no deadlines. And it's just fun. There's nobody. You know, you're with working with other people for whom it's all just fun. And you're just fun. You just sit down and you write. You write. You start. And then you go to the end. So for me now, I don't want to say it's not fun. But it is much more professional. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's sort of like saying... So, which part of brain surgery is most fun for you? To like a brain (laughs) (laughs) surgeon? Well, I don't, I don't know that it's fun. It's interesting. I enjoy, you know. Obviously, I enjoy it. I do this for a living. Whatever (laughs) you like, this is what I do. This is my vocation. Um, But fun, you know, I don't know. So, so yeah, it is. um, I enjoy the planning stage of it which you know that's it's like the the person who converts to a religion i I, <laughs> I never planned and and which is why it took me you know years to write my you know it took me years to write something and cuz i would just get started and then you know before i knew it i was in a corner with a flying hippopotamus so i didn't know <laughs> what to do with that you know so i um i i learned the hard way that stories have to have structure <laughs> <Who knew? Exactly. laughs> No, there's actually a method to this madness. You know, there's actually a way of doing this. And that's why we're not all writers. And we're not all, you know, there's a reason for this. So I had to learn structure. And in a previous life, I was an accountant, weirdly enough. I know. You know, accountants are not generally known for... Creativity?
1: Unless you're a creative accountant. (laughs)
2: Yeah, then you get in trouble. Right, right. <laughs> you get a knock on the door. <laughs> then 60 minutes shows up. You know? so, so, you know, but but accountant is very, you know, things have to fit in their little slots. And I had always sort of liked that. I used to like blocks when I was a kid. I liked to, you know, build things with blocks and you know, whatever. So when once I learned structure, it was almost like it woke up that little wonk end of my life, <laughs> the uh-huh. wonk part of my personality, really woke up once I found out that there were turning points and they had to be certain places and there's something called a pinch point. My God, what's a pinch point, right? You know, like it woke up this weird part of me and I just became, it's like a, you know, I kept going into it. It was like, you know, down a rabbit hole. I, it was, it's like a fractal, you know, oh, here's an overall arc. Oh, well, here's a mini arc. Well, here's a mini mini arc. Oh, well, here's a- <laughs> the point that nobody will talk to me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> my friends who write they want me to look at something and I can see the look in their face is like, please do not tell me that it's scene number, you know, 15 in the middle. I must add a, <laughs> I don't mm-hmm. tell me that. So um, I like the planning. There's just no outline that I don't love. There's no, new method of figuring it out that i'm not taking a look at i i've devised my own incredibly weird system for figuring things out that i i just don't even ever want to admit to i should get on these and say oh no it's fine it just pours out of my brain and the genius just flies onto the page (laughs) that's not (laughs) like that's what i should be saying but i'd be lying no no it's it's a i plan and i plan and i plan i love the
1: planning part
2: Love that part, and it's all selfish because I do all that planning so I won't have a blank page in front of me.
1: I'm just so amazed because I, I'm I am definitely a left brain thinker myself. Very much, uh, this is the way that things are structured, and this is the way that things that works. And with with deepest blue, the fantasy, the magic is so literal, and but so literally fantastical. It's it's something that just seems so congruent with a with a left sided thinker and and that just very creative uh, world.
2: But it's also, you know, if you're if you're a walk, <laughs> <laughs> if you um, for those who like this, if you take those four, you know, it's in four sections. If you take them and you were to lay them side by side and start threading, you would mm-hmm. be like, oh, my God this happened right about here in the first section and this happened right about here in the second section (laughs) like you would see patterns you would see patterns in arcs you would see patterns like in semicircles you would see patterns linearly going across the um, you may have noticed a certain amount of repetition with some things. For what reasons did we war? Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, you know, the chapter fives were all in each section. The fifth chapter of each section were very, very much a certain type of chapter. I don't want to say what, because this is a, probably a family show. Is this a family show? I don't want to say what. <laughs> but, <laughs> eh, wait, sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Originally, when this was um, announced by Publishers Weekly or whatever, they had me under middle grade. What? What? I, had, I, I was like thinking, oh my God, you know, kitties only until chapter five. <laughs> <laughs> maybe not, maybe chapter two, probably chapter two. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> <that's> not? <laughs> I was, I was, sometimes I do book festivals and I was at one and, and um, I had a lot of uh, teenage girls came up. They had read infinite. <laughs> really liked it and they remembered it. So they came in and they made a beeline for deepest blue. And I was like, how old are you? <laughs> Wait <a minute>. Wait. <laughs> Where's your mother? <laughs> I don't want to get in trouble and here. I, what I felt really bad. I'm actually going to, um, I actually started, you know, working on something like outlining something. Cause I actually felt bad. I had nothing I could offer them <laughs> after they had read the infinite. Now. Yeah. I mean, if you're a, you know, or 16 or older, fine, you know, whatever. But you know, it was the 13 to 14 year olds who had read infinite now and really liked it. You know, were zipping up, and they were reaching for it, and I was like, "Uh, no, oh, no, no," and I felt really bad. And I thought, "Okay, I need to write some things that are more like that that I can offer to them rather than deepest blue." Which let's admit it—you just look at that that cover. There's nothing that says what's inside. That's
1: true. That's true. But I, I don't. I've always been surprised by um, the maturity and the acceptance of young teens when it comes to adult content and, and just how much they do understand and the stuff that they don't just kind of th- they'll enjoy it later
2: that will stick with them but, let's face it chapter five i mean i call that the you know f chapter and yeah <laughs> <laughs> i was just like that was all i could think because part of me was thinking oh yeah go ahead and read it and then i also thought about chapter two with the sheep stuff, you know, and I thought, "Oh, yeah. oh God, no, no!" You know, it was that <laughs> that moment you know, when he run children. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that you know, you just don't want that angry call from the mother.
0: <laughs> what were you peddling to my child?
2: Yes, what were you? Where is you weird porno lady? What were you? <laughs> So I I just remember thinking all right I need to write something else that I can offer those that liked really liked Infinite Now and are coming back looking because people do that I was like so gratified like you know they read the first one you know hindsight and they were looking and what did I and that's I was fine on that you know if you're an adult that's not an issue but I the Infinite Now crowd is a is a wide rate, age range and a lot of them are younger even though it wasn't written as a YA a lot of them are younger. And and I realized this is why you know agents or publishers want you to write the same thing, right? <laughs> again, and again and again. So now I learned something new about publishing. I understand that now.
1: So are are you are you planning on going back to YA exclusively, or are you uh, you, no, no. you you going to keep branching? <laughs> no, <Yeah>. no, no. <laughs> <laughs>
2: no, no, no. I write what I like. No, um, <laughs> next one is, No, the next one is um. Uh, it's contemporary fiction uh, more of a women's fiction I guess and you know involves two cousins and a yoga instructor I like it (laughs) so so no it doesn't I did have a thought the problem with okay here's the deal okay when you write the kind of book I write like it takes time to write it (laughs) Right. There's a lot of the planning and there's a lot of layering and there's a lot of things you have to think of the craft of writing, you know, there's a lot in my books, and I can't produce them like one every six months. So it's it's a huff and a puff to try and get one out a year, you know, and, uh, you know, I'm not quite living up to that this year. You know, managing that because it's just that much work. You know, you think you're going to oh, I'm going to write it, and it's going to, you know, I have my new, you know, I have this handy dandy plan now with all my planning. But even with all the planning, your characters still kind of do their thing, right? You put them on the paper, and you're like, wait a minute, you're not supposed to be a witch with a capital B. You know, (laughs) (laughs) that's not how I planned you. Now go be nice. But they're not. You they know, have a life or, of their oh, own. Exactly. They start doing that stuff. So when I say they talk to me, I'm not kidding. They talk to me. So they'll talk to me and I do the plan, and here's the plan. I've written the plan. And then they start doing other things. And then I'm kind of along for the ride with them. You know, I, I leave the tent poles. The tent poles never change once I've decided them for any story, but the execution will change. And it, so it, this all takes time. Like, so I have. 700 story ideas i do outline a couple a year and i put them in the folders and then i you know i kind of pull them out and decide but i can't produce them hmm. <laughs> you know? like the the people who put out two and three and four books a year i am do you sleep <laughs> probably not <laughs> are you just sleeping in your chair <laughs> <laughs>
1: Cat their wrists are just glued to their laptops yeah so they can't yeah. leave
2: and actually, this next one, I mean, if a if a younger person picked it up, I, you know, I wouldn't be terrified that their mother. <laughs> to, you know, I would just be. I was just so I had never been so aware of it as I was, you know, this last year at the festivals and things. I just mm-hmm. had never been quite so aware of what was actually in
1: them. <laughs> so, Mindy, where can your fans find you and, and reach out and communicate with you?
2: Oh, well, they can find me online. (laughs) And um, (laughs) everybody can be found online. Just don't stalk me. (laughs) (laughs) And I do um, attend, you know, local, I'm in the I'm in Arizona. So, you know, no secrets there. It's on my it's on my, you know, in my bio. But I'm in Arizona, I, I will be at the Tucson Book Festival, if anybody's, you know, heading there, I'm doing a couple of panels I forget on what <laughs>
0: <laughs> they're going to be great though.
2: Yeah, they are. One's called nothing's impossible. And I forget what the other one, the other one is called. Those will be on Saturday at the festival and I'll be, um, selling there too. So, nice. you know, I'll, I'll be, you know, in a booth or whatever, um, that. So again, if you go to my website, it's Mindy com, which is very original and <laughs> <laughs> oh, original, but if you go there, um, uh, you can find me on Instagram. You can find Twitter. I, I mostly just yell at politicians there, so you don't really want. To. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll, I'll retweet things, and I, you know, <laughs> I retweet professional stuff, and then I'm, you know, yelling at politicians. There was one reviewer who I don't know. It was funny. I guess she had hit my Twitter account, <laughs> and she put into review. I'm not advocating stalking, but she does have a very interesting Twitter account. <laughs> <laughs> And then my daughter was like, like, Mom, you have to get off Twitter. It comes up too fast if you Google you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, and so now everybody's going to be on Twitter, right? Like nobody will go to my Facebook page now. Okay. Go to my Facebook page. Yes. Instagram. <laughs> I'm learning it. Please be patient.
1: Oh,
2: Instagram's weird. All right. Instagram is like you can't do things on the laptop that you can do if you're on your phone.
1: That is true. Uh, it's It's kind of inconvenient sometimes.
2: Yes. And the phone, you know, the print's small on the phone. I
1: got to make it. <laughs> I have to change the glasses. to,
2: to put a, I know I'm dating myself. No, I'm young. I'm very young. I'm very young. I'm very young. <laughs> so, I'm so unfortunate that I am 32, but I need 17 different readers in order to... Different <laughs> strengths of readers. So, you know, I have to change the glasses to do that. But I learned that then there's like a, a desktop function for Instagram that you can use. And you can do more things with that. So I'm always like losing things, like you know, like they'll say, "Oh, somebody mentioned you in a story." Oh, yay! And I'll go to the story, and I, I don't know how to reply. I don't know how to say thank you for mentioning me. I don't know what I can do with, it. and then it disappears. And then I'm like, "Where did it go? Where did it go? That lovely thing that person just said." <laughs> <laughs> so you're learning. There's it's a process. It's a process for all of us, you know. And here's my fear. Okay, I'm gonna. It took me like a long time to learn how to work Facebook. I know, amazing, but there's still stuff I can't do. They send me things for, like, new things I can do, and I just go, like, no. <laughs> so, so Instagram, I have this fear that I will finally figure out Instagram because I'm amazed the things people do. They have, like, little checklists and all kinds of weird things they do with these. So I think, all right, I'm going to learn all about it, and then everybody's going to leave Instagram and move on to Schwibbleworks or whatever the next one will be. <laughs> Works, yeah, totally uh, yeah. Yeah, it'll be a totally different kind of a platform, you know. And I'll be like, all right, I don't know. I'm trying to decide at what point I'm going to hit my learning,
0: <laughs>
2: my learning ceiling. When does <laughs> that? Happen? I don't. know. Well, we're
0: all together in that.
2: I mean, who knows what's coming? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Do you remember MySpace? You all enough to remember MySpace.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah. Fortunately, I didn't spend too much time there, which was just good, because otherwise I would have learned all about it and then, you know, ended up on Facebook. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for being with us, Mindy.
2: All right. I enjoyed this very much. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> gosh. My so face weird. hurts. Yeah, it was. My
0: <laughs> face hurts. <laughs>
2: You rub your cheeks. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. Well, thank you very much for having me.
1: And have a wonderful day
0: and a good rest of 2019.
1: Yes, you too. That's Thanks. that's a very long wish. <laughs> <laughs> We're only seven days in.
2: Are hey. your wishes powerful? Are you air? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How powerful are your wishes? <laughs>
0: welcome back this is the spoiler section you have been warned so let's talk a little bit more about characters and in relation to this story and a little bit more in depth about them. Uh,
1: uh, yes. And I think before we can talk about characters, we I think we can finally talk about the way that they're presented in this book without spoiling it as well.
0: That it's perspectives?
1: Yes. The the, the perspective changes that the entire plot of this book is built around.
0: Yeah. It's a really nice way that it's layered.
1: It is, it is so fascinating the way that she interwove their three perspectives on some simultaneous scenes and then just events that are happening to give you a different perspective of the way that things are progressing.
0: So my favorite brother is Antonio.
1: You know... I- I'm surprised, but in retrospect, I'm not.
0: So um, Antonio's perspective is one of the last of the books, and that is when he's a ghost. So, okay, it's a little bit like almost unfair because I'm like, oh my god, yeah, the ghost. But at the same time, he has... Such a, a unique presence. Like he talks about being a ghost and how it's hard to get overly excited about things. And you see things just a lot more clearer. And there's another ghost running around, uh, <laughs> Giacomo, the ghost. But, um, I, I loved the way the ghosts interacted with this story. That's something else I think people who like, um, shakespeare and some classic literature will appreciate the way the ghosts interact with the humans humans i don't know they're magical humans but the living the living in this book um but claudio is the romantic he's the musician he's the rebel um he's i don't know he just has like this really beautiful free spirit
1: i i I waffle a little bit but claudio is definitely in my top i I love claudio um he's so conflicted because he is he's the character who really uh can't say anything. He's, he's the
0: secret keeper.
1: He knows everything but can't do anything. He doesn't have more than anyone else. He has the least agency of anyone.
0: I really liked Claudio a whole lot. I like how, you know, he's the one kind of pointing out to us that being a priest is dumb because even though they're not priests in the Judeo-Christian sense, they're, they still have like those rules to follow where they have to be like, pious and reserved and not overindulge and to be celibate you know to serve the magic and it's such an unnatural way for human beings to live magical or not and yeah he's the secret keeper he's the one everyone comes to confess to he carries the weight of the world on his shoulders
1: i love how seriously he and and really everyone else but particularly claudio uh upholds the deep lore, that 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 primordial force. Because, you know, there are some things that he does that are are um against his order, I guess. But when it comes to the fact that if if someone uh has confessed something to him, he there is nothing on earth that could force him to divulge that information.
0: Well the deep lore is almost a character into itself. Um this force, this mysticism, because there's like, yeah, there's things Where people bend the lore, and it's fine. And there's also the fear of, like, if you break the lore, the world will literally fall apart. So it's it's interesting to see the way people kind of dance around the lore. And I do have to say, this story would not have worked without all three brothers. It is integral that the three are exactly who they are. Matteo made me just so conflicted. Sometimes I loved him. Sometimes I hated him. Sometimes I just felt so much, you know, empathy for him. Uh, but without him, this book wouldn't have worked. You needed all three.
1: I agree uh, as far as Mateo. Uh, he comes off as really whiny a lot. But Yes,
0: he does. It's like he's always just bitching.
1: I just want to be free, which <laughs> I, I understand. But uh, I, I really like him once he becomes the Duca. I, I, I really uh, respect. It's the, a big hat to fill. It's a big hat to fill. And he fills it pretty well, uh, you know, with the exception of his, you know, kidnapping his son. But
0: you can't really blame him, though. He got emotional.
1: I, and especially in the uh in the rules of their world i mean it is a it is a a a a incredibly deep connection i mean he can feel him at all times they're connected by their stars uh the one thing i'll say is i don't i agree that the story could not have existed without the three brothers and i really love claudio i don't know if it needed his perspective
0: I think it does because he's the linchpin. He's the gap between the two brothers and the dad. Like he, it would be boring if it was just Antonio in this corner, Mateo in that corner. You need an intermediary that bridges the two
1: you know you're probably right especially just his thoughts on things i just and he's funny he is very funny i just don't know if there's a lot of uh of forwarding of the plot that happened from his perspective but i guess it did um it did serve to change the reader's perspective of what was happening uh yeah I guess it wouldn't have been the same without him you're right I think I think that perspective was needed I just i I was just trying to think of it and I don't know if if the plot was progressed by his perspective at all
0: well Scott you should know I'm always right you should know by now
1: you're usually right
0: <laughs> well not to mention he's the cat lover
1: I love that cats actually live nine lives in this world that's what I was saying when I talk about You know, things being so literal, I mean, anything, any colloquialism you can think of came from this world in this world because they're real because words have power.
0: uh, Yes, they do. I love that. I I love that fairy tales, a lot of fairy tales originated from this world and they're referenced to Topo is the cat's name and I love him okay I take it all back Topo is my favorite character Topo is
1: everything it, Topo Topo is everything I, and you know to, to talk a little bit more about the literal stuff the, the idea that Matteo's office is filled with words and letters and punctuation marks that are filed neatly in order there's a lot of things that that's very difficult to visualize in the book Um, and, and that's, that's an example of one of those things I had trouble visualizing exactly what that looked like oh but, see
0: i had no trouble
1: but by the time i got to that like i was along for the ride it, the, the point wasn't that it had to be visualized it just had to be accepted
0: yeah i i did not have a trouble visualizing or accepting any of it i and just it, and went Antonio, right into it
1: and it and Antonio had quarter notes and eighth notes and 16th notes on the shelves yeah i I have no idea what that looks like, and I don't have a problem visualizing things. I don't have that condition. I I turned off the visualization part of my brain in this book about a third of the way in, and just and and actually had a, a better time with it after I did that.
0: You just need to accept the words that are on the page and not fight them. That's what you have to do in this book.
1: This is a purely in your mind read it kind of book. There's no way you could make this into a movie. Would you agree?
0: Never say never. Okay. I can see this as a miniseries i can see it
1: Uh, i could see the story being put into a miniseries but some of the really fun things like 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 those very literal ideas like the words just drifting off into you know into the air and the star flying into the room and him following it that's something that i it'd be very difficult to produce in a satisfying way in a in a on, on a television or a screen
0: in your opinion because I can totally see it, and that was actually something I thought the whole time I was reading it, with all of the strange magic, with all of it, totally saw this as a miniseries. Come on, Netflix, pick this up, buy this, make it, I want to watch it. So, can we talk about the outside world and the Carreri?
1: Uh, yeah.
0: So the Carreri is very similar to Pandory, but uh, they're starting to lose their way of magic. They're starting to like those modern conveniences. Seems like they've been for a long time very accepting of the outside world, and they want to be a part of it, but they're not all the way there. It was a good bridge to help us understand... The relation to the outside world.
1: And it's a neat allegory between the pull of traditional values and traditional. Uh, lore and and legend and the pull of modern day and the pull of a traditional western society
0: right because they're starting to trade essentially with the outside world to get things um and by the time we're you know at the part where our characters in pandori are interacting with the careri uh society is like I mean, basically, where we are now, there's, you know, uh, cell phones and... All kinds of crazy stuff.
1: Well, did you catch at the end? It's actually in the future.
0: Oh yes, yes. So I mean, new I think
1: technology it... called known as cold fusion.
0: Yes, yes. And I was like, I don't know, y'all. I don't know if y'all need to know about cold fusion. Well,
1: cold fusion is basically the idea of uh, of of permanent cheap energy.
0: Yeah, but it was just so funny because it's like, is it better to just be pandori? To be old school? In a lot of ways, I think it is.
1: In a lot of respects, there's uh there's actually more convenience to be Panduri. The more you add conveniences to your life, the more your life becomes complicated and and less full of meaning and less full of purpose and direction.
0: Right. And there is um there's actually book club questions in the back of the book, which I love. I love some book club questions. Those are
1: always very fun, yeah.
0: And there is one where it's like like um Mateo wonders if the deep lore is what they make of it indeed it does seem the deep lore molds itself to changing circumstances but does that mean the deep lore changes or only Mateo's understanding of it
1: I like that question I, I think that the deep lore does change but the problem is is as the uh, the deep lore changing is not necess- is is usually not a good thing uh You know, every time that the ground shakes and and things get more difficult and things get more complicated, it is the deep lore kind of molding around the events. I mean, the, the world doesn't literally end when they break the deep lore, but the world becomes infinitely more complicated when they do.
0: Um, I think that the, the deep lore is very patient, and it is fine to change, but you have to change it, and it is moldable. I don't think it's just Matteo; it's Everybody kind of gets the gears turning and changes stuff. It just seems like this really, like, wise old being that's very much like, okay, I'm gonna let you figure this out for yourself. I'm gonna let you see how this plays out. And, you know, because there's probably stuff that should have changed a long time ago, but they were all stuck. And so they didn't.
1: And I, I don't know how you pictured the deep lore as far as practicality. The way that I saw it, particularly by the end of the book, was it was it's it's basically made up of declarations of long dead people and dukas. You know, th- there's so much put on the idea that if you declare something, if you say something, it becomes true. Mm-hmm. and. hmm. It's proven that you can undeclare something or you can change your declarations, but uh, it's it's less clear on on how easy it is to change someone else's declarations. So if someone generations before you made a declaration that this is how it is, it's it's much more difficult to to redeclare those those rules.
0: Yeah. I kind of agree. I mean, I think that it's malleable, but you have to be willing to change. You have to be willing to um, do something different. And people get very stuck in tradition and ritual in the way things
1: should be. I took a little bit of a Judeo-Christian uh, idea from this book, and, and it, it is somewhat—it's—it's sus- it's somewhat supported in the idea that there are apples from the from the tree of knowledge, or fruit from the tree of knowledge, and it's kind of the idea that before you gain that that knowledge, that critical thought, that independence, you kind of—they're—they're they're kind of gods of their own world. And that's where I get the idea of of not of them just not being fake creatures but in a way being their own gods and creating their own world and and you know cre- getting that 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 um that independence from that tree is also giving up their divinity.
0: Yes, there is definitely some of that and that is um I think not in a bad way but pretty heavy-handedly um shown to us as what it's supposed to be that it is an allegory. Um so this is kind of related to what we were talking about. This is what made me think of the book uh Club Questions. Is inside better?
1: Inside is, is infinitely better.
0: I think it's better too, because I think it's more pure and more beautiful and more akin to how we should be, because more in touch with nature and animals and the seasons. And that's my really pagany side of me, being like, yeah. But I mean. I mean, of course there's benefits to outside. Of course there are. Well, such as a lot more freedom to determine one's path without, you know, having to weigh
1: the lore into all of it. Can I? I want to put out one more, one more, uh, Theory that I have, because with the existence of the creation myth of uh, Judeo-Christian uh, beliefs of the tree of knowledge and and the Garden of Eden and such, mm-hmm. that opens the door to the idea that the the Papist Jesus may have been real. And I have a theory. Okay, I think Dante and or Ilario were what we consider to be prophets in the outside. Mm, I like that theory. I think there's a possibility and the names even kind Dante in particular, but, but, you know, that's also just an Italian name. I, I think that the two of them may have been Jesus, Muhammad, some other prophets may have had something to do with that creation. Uh, I, I like to think of it that way that, that Pandory really did have an effect on the outside. And, and the two of them disappearing had a specific effect.
0: I guess I look at it more like alternate dimension, because maybe one religion is right in one dimension, but not in another. Yeah, But uh, they have mirror things and they borrow from each other because of the way stories had been passed back and through. But I look at it more as like two different dimensions.
1: Yeah, I don't want to say that that. You mean the outside and the inside are two different yeah. dimensions? I do, too. Yeah, but I I like the the irony that that their fascination with the papists is and the existence of the papists is directly related to the the very beginning of all of their problems.
0: Oh no, I agree. And I uh I also like how Papist Jesus is like a swear. It's like so funny and want to start saying it.
1: I really want to start saying sweet Papist Jesus.
0: Or oh, Papist Jesus. Papist Jesus wept um I think we can like start to do that and see if it catches on there's a big theme of the book that is about grief. There's a big question in the book club part of it. And actually, in Mindy's afterwards, she leaves um, some contact information for people who need help going through grief. And I will be honest, I haven't fully digested grief as it relates to this book because it's really huge. It's big, though. And the way they all grieve and the way grief plays a part in the characters' lives and the decisions they make um I didn't know if you had anything insightful to kind of add to that
1: I do I grief is a very strong theme in this book and um, Mindy Tarquini has suffered great loss herself. I, I highly recommend that you look up her article on loss mm-hmm. and specifically the loss of a child. Uh, it's something that I I came across after reading the book, and she captures that that sadness, those complicated feelings, so eloquently in this story.
0: Yeah, it's really beautiful in the way because grief is comes up several times in the book, and the first time it really Came across to me is when I realized that Matteo's not just like a bon vivant playboy. He realizes he helped create a child and he is grieving it not being in his life and it's kind of <laughs> it's kind of like in a lot of my horror things when people lose a child or a loved one and you know you bury him in the pet cemetery or whatever and then they come back it's kind of like what would you do what wouldn't you do to change that grief you feel but it's never that easy to solve grief.
1: And, you know, to, to someone like myself who does not have a child by choice, I, uh, we have a know, child by fur job child <laughs> <laughs> fur children. Um, the idea of him, just basically burning the world down to be able to spend time with his son is a little bit foreign to me at the same time i think about if if there's someone that you know you'll never see again and you have the opportunity to see them again what would you what wouldn't you do to make that a reality
0: yeah it's huge it's a huge thing and that just adds to all the other themes going on in this book it's big themes it's big heavy stuff family dynamics fate uh religion clearly as we've talked about you know do you shape it? Does it shape you? What, you know, like they, they almost kind of believe in like a big bang theory of existence too. Did you kind of pick up on that?
1: I did. It just started, it just started from nothing.
0: Yeah. Which I love. Um, yeah, there's just really cool, big stuff going on in this book. And it was a pleasure to read it. And I think it's going to take me a long time to digest. Stuff and it's gonna stick with me. And, um, if I don't get my mini series soon, I'm, I may have to reread it again. All right let's rate this sucker.
1: I'm going to go first. And Uh, I
0: think stars is appropriate.
1: I think stars is perfect. I'm going to go first because I I don't think a score that I would give this book was would be fair. And I've come to that realization recording this review because this is the first book of its kind that I've ever read. And so it's hard for me to compare and contrast. Uh, The score that I am going to give it is four out of five stars. There are some things that i that to me felt uh clunky uh like i said i i I don't know if Claudia's personal uh, perspective was handled exactly how I would have liked to have seen it, but there's so much that I found so unique and inventive in this that I, I just, I love this book to pieces. But again, since I don't have anything to really compare it to, it's hard for me to really lock that score in.
0: Fair, 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 totally fair. Um, I'm gonna go a little bit more of a three, three and a half out of five
1: stars. Okay. Still a great score.
0: Yeah, it is a great score. And, um, uh, because it was a very enjoyable read. Um, one thing is, you know, this is a story about male characters and there's the females get a little bit more as the book goes on. Uh, but sometimes, I need to see myself more in characters regardless of gender. I didn't totally see myself. And these guys, I had some empathy for them, but um, that was just a little hard for me because sometimes having that character connection pushes it over an edge. But as it as it stands, they're great characters. And the world is just fantastic and beautiful, crazy imaginative. Um, I, I cannot believe she just created this world. And yeah, there's stuff that's similar to other parts of fantasy, but it's so unique and so just densely layered, and has a lot to say, and... It, it's a crime that more people don't have this book in their hands.
1: I, I wholeheartedly agree. This should be this should be a big book. This should be. It will be. I, I cannot recommend. I, I, I cannot recommend this book enough. Obviously, if you're listening to this, you've probably read it, and if you haven't, maybe you should reconsider that.
0: Yeah, because I mean, honestly, even though this is the spoiler section, I think you could still read this and get a lot out of it. Also, it's funny. There's laughs, there's lols in this book.
1: There are a lot of laughs. It's it's very it's funny the way that it 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 uh jumps between that cadence that we were talking about and very kind of crude uh modern uh phrasing and humor that's yeah. that, that totally that, that fits in completely.
0: Well, because if you are a fan of history as I am, Crude has always been in style. We just think that it doesn't fit in in antiquated things, but it sure does. People are people. It works
1: real well. And I just want to say, since you've listened to the interview, I don't agree with Mindy at all. I think that the particular crude uh elements in this book are are not as bad as i think that she is afraid that it is yeah they say the f-word a lot we all say the f-word a lot it's and it's 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 funny and it's crude but it's it works i sure say the f-word a lot yeah it's not gratuitous it's fine and Again, I hope if you haven't read the book that we've convinced you, because we really haven't even spoiled very much. Not really. There's too much in this book to spoil to spoil everything in one episode. But
0: somehow, amazingly, she crammed this into like 300 pages.
1: This is the kind of book that many authors would take trilogies, quadrilogies, <laughs> sagas to tell. Yeah, and she, yeah, she. She just kind of like, together.
0: Nah, I, I can do this in a i can do this in a in one all right guys thank you for joining us we're gonna be talking sci-fi next
1: very exciting and until then please
0: keep reading past your bedtime <laughs>